Let us rise together and worship God. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. Who redeems us from sin and death. For us and for our salvation, Christ became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Blessed be the name of the Lord. humbly bow together in prayer. Almighty God, we beseech you to graciously behold this your family, for which our Lord Jesus Christ was contented to be betrayed and given up into the hands of wicked men and to suffer death upon the cross. O Savior of the world, who by your cross and precious blood has redeemed us, save us and help us, we humbly pray. Merciful and everlasting God, who has not spared your only son, but delivered him up for us all, that he might bear our sins upon the cross. Grant that our hearts may be so fixed with steadfast faith in him, that we may not fear the power of any adversaries, 
Help us so to remember and give thanks for our Lord's passion that we may rest in the remission of our sins and redemption from everlasting death through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord. Amen. You may all be seated. Our lesson this evening is from Isaiah chapter 52, 13 through 53, 12. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see. And what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground, He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they have made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant, shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Amen. Our epistle reading this morning is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 16 through 25. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our responsive psalm reading will be from Psalm 31 this evening. In you, O Yahweh, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Yahweh, God of truth. I have hated those who regard useless idols. But I trust in Yahweh. Have mercy on me, O Yahweh, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. And am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Yahweh. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and, and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. Do not let me be ashamed, O Yahweh, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence. Which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you. Which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. 
Blessed be Yahweh. For he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. Oh, love Yahweh, all you his saints. For Yahweh preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in Yahweh. Amen. Now let us rise together for the reading of the gospel from Mark chapter 15. Hear now God's holy word. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes of the whole council, and they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, it is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call king of the Jews? So they cried out, Crucify him! Then Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple. And they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they mocked him, they took the purple off him, put on his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroyed the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. 
even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks, thanks be, be to God. God. Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for this and for the gift of your son who endured the cross, who suffered this shame on our behalf. We who don't deserve it, who have not deserved one ounce of your attention, your affection, your love, much less this priceless gift that was paid on our behalf, that was given to us. So make us thankful. By your spirit, stir us up in gratitude to give you thanks in order that we might obey you and please you all our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Whenever there is an artistic representation of the crucifixion of Jesus, say in a film or in a painting, the artist usually makes an effort to display the full, brutal extent of the physical suffering of Jesus. Several movies have attempted to provide a graphic depiction of the realities of crucifixion, the suffering and the torment and the indescribable agony that a person on a cross would have gone through. But when we read the gospel accounts, we don't get a great deal of information on the details of how a person dies on a cross. The gospels all, each one of them, give a sober, factual but restrained account of the crucifixion of Jesus. They tend to put things forward in a very, a very matter-of-fact fashion. They don't dwell on uh, the graphic particulars of crucifixion in a morbid kind of way. Now, perhaps one reason for this is that everyone in their world knew what crucifixion was all about. Matthew didn't have to explain what a crucifixion was, neither did Mark. Uh, people had seen crosses lined up along the roads outside of cities. Public execution of criminals was common. So they didn't need a lot of extra detail. They could see it for themselves. We don't have the same experience, so it's helpful to a point for us to understand what a cross was and what the executed went through The cross was primarily a display of the power and the authority of the empire. This is what happens to people who don't submit to us. This is what happens to people who don't bow to our rule. 
You belong to the empire. Your body is ours. And if we want to nail you to a post and leave you to die, that's our right. That's our prerogative. If we want to kill you in a way that's gruesome and humiliating and public, we can do that. Just watch us. And so the cruelty and the inhumanity of crucifixion communicated clearly just what kind of empire you were dealing with, what kind of empire you were living under. Death on a cross was a slow death by exhaustion and exposure and asphyxiation. Crucifixion was preceded by several beatings that left the victim nearly dead The person was then led out to be tied to or nailed to a cross in such a way that they couldn't breathe comfortably. They hung there, all of their weight pressing down uh, on their diaphragm. And in order to draw a full breath, they would have to pull themselves up, often if they were nailed on wounded hands and feet, push themselves up to draw a breath before collapsing again to suffer until they were so weakened they could no longer pull themselves up to draw a breath. That death would be accelerated if their legs were broken and they could no longer pull themselves up to breathe. Otherwise, they hung there asphyxiating. Now, this picture of what crucifixion was and, and how the victim died, it may help us to better understand what Jesus went through. But still, when the New Testament writers return to the theme of the crucifixion, we aren't directed to meditate on the suffering of the Lord Jesus or his torment on the cross only. Certainly not in a way that we come away, the only thought we have is poor Jesus or that we pity him only. That's not the point. But the the writers of the New Testament lead us to view his suffering and his death within the context of his faithful obedience to his father. Hebrews chapter five, verse seven, Christ, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus didn't suffer simply to evoke our pity or for us to feel sorry for the cost of our redemption or for us to feel bad about the cost of our our sins and the guilt of our sins. The cross isn't just a see what you made me do kind of action, but rather the suffering of Jesus was instructive and his suffering was the result of his obedience to the father. He obeyed his father to the death, even the death of the cross. My mind always trips over that phrase whenever I read that in Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. If Jesus is God, how can he learn anything? Jesus is always faithful. He's always sinless. Jesus is always obedient. How can he learn obedience? How can he be 
perfected, as the author of Hebrews says. Having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. How can he be perfected? He is perfect. Well, John Owen comments on that. He says that by learned obedience, the author of Hebrews means that Jesus came to understand human suffering by experiencing it himself. That was how he learned and how he entered into our suffering was by suffering himself. And he learned it by obeying his father and by submitting to his father. By walking through suffering as a man, Jesus shared the human condition of suffering and now sympathizes with us in our weakness. He helps us as we suffer and also at the same time, Jesus has provided the preeminent example for us of obedience through suffering. Again, the author of Hebrews says he's the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Obedience is underscored for both Christ the sufferer and for those who follow him, for those who take up their cross and follow him. There are other places in the New Testament where this connection is made between the uh, sacrifice of Jesus, his suffering, and his obedience. Obedience is underscored time and again. In Romans 5, 6, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. He's referring to Adam there. By Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. His death was the result of his obedience. And the result of his obedience is that we're made righteous. We're delivered from sin. God's free gift of salvation is imparted to us because of Jesus's faithful obedience. We have life, but it was because of his obedience, whereas Adam disobeyed. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became what? Obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. There it is again. Typically, when we think of Christ's work on the cross, our minds run to the suffering. We immediately think of the torment, the physical pain, which was all real. But repeatedly, the New Testament writers point us to the obedience of Jesus, which resulted in the suffering. Jesus obeyed his father so bravely, so tenaciously, so unswervingly obeyed his father that it led to his suffering and death at the hands of cruel men. Because he kept his father's law, because he established his law, he fulfilled his law in a way that exposed the law breaking of those who were in power because he also established himself as an authority. He was the one who could forgive sins. He was the one who could heal. He had command over all sickness and even had command over death itself. Because of this, the religious rulers and the magistrates simply couldn't allow someone like that to continue to live. He was just too big of a threat. 
And though they all disapproved of him, and though they hated him, every moment of, of his life, the Lord Jesus was pleasing to his father. His entire life, every moment of his life was led in obedience to his father and lived in the pleasure of his father. He was well pleased with his son all the way. And Jesus kept obeying and obeying and obeying all the way to the cross. The cross was the inevitable appointment for one who obeyed like Jesus did. Now, Peter builds on that theme in his epistle, and he applies it to our own experience with trials and difficulties and suffering. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. If you obey like Jesus obeyed, you're going to suffer too. Your obedience will put you in conflict with wicked men. And complacent men, men who don't want the world to change, men who don't want light and life to break in. Yes, there will be suffering and you will experience various forms of death. You must die to your sin, first of all, but there are also relationships that will die. There are opportunities that will dry up. There are things that will go away, things you must put down and never pick up again, things you must put off and never reach for ever again. And every one of these, every one of these little deaths and every insult and accusation and every loss that comes with it, Peter says is a sharing in the sufferings of Christ. So just as Jesus learned obedience by sharing in our suffering, so we share in his suffering through our obedience. And in doing so, we not only share in his suffering, but we share in his glory. We share in his life we share in his blessing. We share in his reward. You might say, that's not a great selling point. You're calling us to be disciples and you're saying it all leads to a cross. Well, yeah, o obey. And not only might you end up on a cross, but it's more than that to obey is to take up a cross, to follow him all the way through the cross and on to life and on to great blessing and glory. And so we must all remember and carefully consider the faithful obedience of our Lord Jesus. When you're tempted to give up, when you're tempted to walk away, when you're tempted to quit because it is just too hard to be a follower of Jesus. It is just too hard to do what God says. No one's going to disagree with you. Yes, absolutely. It is hard. It is difficult. We don't ever deny that. Anyone who tells you that it's supposed to be easy all the time is lying to you. If it were easy, then Jesus, the perfect sinless man, wouldn't have to suffer. If he must learn obedience, if he was perfected through sufferings, what makes you think that it's going to be easy on us all the time, all the way? Jesus endured the suffering that came with obedience all of his life. At every point, he obeyed his father in a way that prepared him to be the perfect 
substitutionary sacrifice. He lived in a way that his obedience would be applied to us. His righteousness would be applied to us before the throne of God. And not one part of that life that he lived was on easy mode. Not one part of it was, was softened. The way to the cross for Jesus was complete with great difficulties and challenges. On the way to Jerusalem, each of the gospel writers tell us this in their own way. On the way to Jerusalem, he was filled with a level of dread, what the author of Hebrews called a godly fear in that verse we read just a few minutes ago. And he prayed with vehement cries and tears, and he, he wasn't getting the comfortable answer from his father. And in the midst of this weight of mental anguish, Jesus was hounded by his closest friends as they tried to pull him off course to serve some lesser agenda, something they had in mind. And, and, and as he went to Jerusalem, they bickered among themselves. They created unnecessary conflict, un unnecessary distractions. These same friends couldn't stay awake with him through the night to pray with him. They couldn't support him. And then when he was arrested, they abandoned him. One of them betrayed him. One of them denied him. And those were his friends. Outside of his friends, he was surrounded by liars and false accusers and wicked men who hated him and sought his destruction. Jesus lived his life in constant conflict. Once he began his ministry, it was in constant conflict with the scribes and Pharisees. And when he was turned over to be crucified, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was stripped, he was insulted. On the cross, he was shamed, he was humiliated, he was mocked. Mark tells us about every one of those insults that was lobbed at him while he was on the cross. In addition to extreme physical pain, he thirsted, he was offered poison to drink, he was stripped of every basic human comfort. Every social and mental and emotional and physical support was removed completely from him. And yet, he did not sin. He was obedient in giving up his life in the way his father prescribed. He gave it up. It wasn't taken from him. He gave it up and obeyed his father. You, at times in your life, and maybe even right now, maybe even today, you have and you are participating in the sufferings of Christ. Like Jesus, you have been filled with dread and anxiety. You know what that feels like. You have cried out to God, like Jesus, to change your circumstances, and you have not gotten the comfortable answer. I mean, not the answer you were looking for. And in the midst of conflict, in the midst of great mental distress, you, like Jesus, have had annoying people not understand what was going on, not understanding the pressure you are under, and they carry on with their self-absorbed nonsense all around you. Well, you can't even focus on what they're bringing up. You've had self-righteous people bring lies and false accusations. You, like Jesus, have been hated by wicked men. You have suffered physically. You have been isolated and shamed and mocked. You have been abandoned by your friends. You have been deprived of comfort. You have endured mental and emotional and spiritual angu anguish. What, what have you been through that Jesus did not also in some way go through? There's nothing. There's nothing that you have ever experienced that Jesus did not in some fashion experience when he shared in our sufferings. 
He was tempted in every way, in every point as we are, yet did not sin. His obedience and the new life that gives us, the, the redemption and salvation and the obedience that, that is, is, is imparted to us and, and, and made possible to us by his spirit means that it is possible for you to please the Father. It is possible to, for you to obey the Father the way that Jesus obeyed his Father, even when it hurts to do so, especially when it hurts to do so. The cross that we reflect on this Good Friday is a call to obedience. You are being called to come live this kind of life with the kind of faith that says, I don't care what I'm being asked to do, I don't care what it costs me. I will obey my father. I will do what God says no matter the cost. I don't care what it costs me, even my life. This is the way to glory and blessing. It comes by the way of the cross. There's no resurrection. There's no glory. There's no kingdom without the cross. And so when you reflect on the cross, add this to your thoughts, that the cross, the cross is the symbol of obedience. There was a faithful man who obeyed his father perfectly without sin. There, by his obedience, he bought our life. Let's give thanks together as we pray the prayer in your bulletin. Let us pray. Most merciful Father, out of your great compassion toward us sinners, you gave your only begotten Son to be an offering for our sins. Grant us grace that being united to him by your Spirit and made partakers of his sufferings and death, we may die daily unto the world and lead holy and unblavable lives. Cause us to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, clinging to his cross, so that as he gave himself entirely for us, we may give ourselves entirely to him. We pray in the name of the crucified, risen, and exalted Savior, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together.
lift up your heads and receive the benediction from God's word. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Go out rejoicing in the victory of Jesus, your savior and friend. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.